0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Out a distant land that was stooped in Catholicism, and there was a little there was a little granny woman, and she was a believer, a true believer. She knew Jesus Christ as her Savior, but her family didn't. And she'd gotten very ill and was about to pass over to the other side, and her eyes had grown dim and she couldn't see, and she was in her last days on earth, and her family did the only thing they knew to do. They called for the local priest and asked him if he would come and administer the last rites of the church. And so the priest came, and the family stood around the bedside, and the priest came and went through the ritual of of the last rite for this lady who was passing away. And uh, as he got there, the father, of the priest, said to the little lady, "I'm here to administer the last rites of the church. You're about to die." And she said, before you begin, she said, would you allow me to see, would you allow me to touch your hand? And said the priest thought that was a little odd, but he laid his hand out. And that old woman took those feeble hands and held his hand. And she began to stroke through the palm of his hand. And then she said, sir, you're an imposter. She said, one's already came (laughs) to administer my passage to the other side. And he had nail prints in his hand. Amen. And I'm not going to go with an imposter. I'm not going with a stranger. Amen. Amen. It's all because of Jesus. Thank Amen. God for him. Amen. We've been doing these uh, three C's since Wednesday night. And I got under conviction during the song service this morning that I missed the most important one that we've been doing. it. We didn't miss doing it. But I should have said, and I said we celebrated. And uh, we're conferring and we're committing. But we ought to have had one that said Christ is going to be exalted. Oh, yes, that ought to be the goal of the church every time she comes together. Amen. Yes. That Christ be exalted. Because it's not about men. Uh-huh. It's about the Master. Amen. Amen. It's not about us. It's about Him. Amen. Yes. And uh, He must be exalted. Uh-huh. Because when He's exalted, the saints are encouraged. And when He's exalted... The sinner is drawn to him. You can't, you can't see people saved when you exalt the church. You can't see people saved when you exalt yourself, but you can see people saved when you exalt the precious Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. Well, it's been a wonderful, wonderful week here at uh, at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and I appreciate your labor this week. I, I mean that um, your generosity has been amazing. And you have treated all of us that have been your guests this week as home folk. And I mean that. Um, you've prepared wonderful meals every night. Um, there was a meal provided for us last night. Yeah. And uh, then I know there's lunch out there today. We've enjoyed fellowship a couple of mornings with uh, Brother Jamie um, at the breakfast table. You put us in nice motel rooms. You give our families gift baskets. And we want to say thank you. Thank yeah. you. You've done your very best to exhibit the love of Christ in your, in your, uh, hospitality in these days. And we do want to say thank you. But then I'm also thankful for what God is doing in our hearts. Amen. And I, 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 uh, I know and, and I said to you on Wednesday night, we're not coming to criticize or condemn. We're coming to celebrate the, the, the work that, that Lighthouse Baptist Church already does in this matter of New Testament missions. And, and, uh, but I, and so I know you have a heart toward missions and you have an interest in missions, but I'm gonna tell you, the comments that have been made, the questions that was asked, and if you came in and wondered why we was over on Sunday school, the, the preacher wasn't so long-winded teaching this morning, but, but we got into questions and answers with our missionary families about culture and about, um, the, the field or the country that they're going to and all those kind of things, and those are great questions, and I, and I noticed the the interest that you had um, about those countries and about those fields and about how your missionaries get there and what they've got to do when they get there. And so that's just a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And so, again, let me let me give you these closing words of counsel. I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to go by and pick up your missionaries' uh, prayer card and look at their display table, one here, one just through that door. And uh, I want to make sure you go by and look at their display tables uh, and uh, pick up one of their prayer cards so that you can remember these families um, as these days come to a close. Our family has some prayer cards now uh, on the front table, and I encourage you to pick that up as well. Um, and then I want you to make sure you stop by your own bulletin board back there and take note of those 10 precious families that you partner with, and I actually have the privilege of knowing um, probably 70% of those, two or three of them I'm not acquainted with personally, but almost all of them I know personally. And I I want to encourage you to go by, read those letters, and there's some extra prayer cards there. If you do not have those missionaries' prayer cards, please take a minute, pick those up, and uh, take them with you, and make it habitual, not a habit, but habitual that you're going to pray for um, those missionary families uh, as you go forward amen well we've been in Luke chapter 8 on uh, Thursday night and the Lord did not let us go back there on Friday <coughs> I, I actually thought we might I really intended to walk through those four gospel accounts of missions quickly and then come back to Luke and I did not get liberty from the Lord to go in that direction and we ended up having a great time i thinking about how church planning works and how that's a creaky element of New Testament missions. But I want to take you back to Luke 7 on this morning, and I want to deal with this passage of Scripture. Again, we're just looking at three verses of Scripture. Now, um, you've heard, and I want to reiterate this before I go any further, but you've heard that these families in their presentations this week, and they've addressed some particular um, things in their lives that they need you to help them pray toward, okay? And uh I would say, you know, the 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 white family, they are hoping that they can that they can speed along and, and wrap up their deputation process. And I didn't go through those terms. I hope everybody's familiar. Deputation is the initial time that the missionary goes from church to church and raises the necessary support that he and his family need to go to the mission field. And then when he comes home after his first term or second term or whatever, that time when he visits churches in between those terms of service, we refer to as furlough. And he, he has a a duty in those days to report back to the churches that support him. But at the same time, inevitably he's lost support and expenses have changed, right? right? You take a a young family goes to the field, they have small children, time they come back in four years, they got teenagers. (laughs) And so their grocery bill went from $50 to 500 It's real easy. So they have to come back and raise right. additional support to fill the gaps and to meet additional needs. Plus, sometimes the ministry's expanded, and I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But Brother White and his family are on the road, and he talked about that. So pray for their safety and protection and that God would hasten their deputational days and get that closure. And then as they begin the process of getting into the country of Japan and all that, there's a lot that has to be prayed about. The Alversons are nearing the very end of their deputational run, and they just have a few more weeks of meetings scheduled, Um, but they need you to pray that the Lord would take care of this sponsorship situation. I would say that would be, uh, I shouldn't speak for them, but I kind of glean from their conversations and from their presentation, and uh, they need the Lord to and, and by the way, it's okay. The Lord said that the king's heart's in the Lord's hand. And he'll turn it whatsoever way he will. And so the lawyer's going to help them, and they're going to resubmit their sponsorship paperwork. And they need uh, adequate slots for the girls. We talked about that this morning. And uh, their oldest two girls can't come in under their visa. They need to come in under their own. And so they've been working things to make that happen. And uh, they need that, that lawyer to have success in... Refiling that paperwork and and getting that approved in a judicious fashion. Now, he told you they got airline tickets bought for the 18th of January, so they need God to move in this matter and uh, and and fix that so that they can get into that country. All right. So I hope that you'll pray about that for our family. Um, would you pray about uh, two trips that we have scheduled in January? We are. Supposed to leave New Year's Day and fly to Honduras and we're scheduled to be there 13 days. I actually have two or three folks that are looking at going with us and then at the, I'll come home for about a week and a half and then turn around and go back to Panama, South America. Um, Honduras is not under a lot of COVID restrictions. Panama comes and goes. It's just up and down, up and down. And uh, we are. Uh, hopeful that we'll be able to do some youth work there as well as a little bit of evangelistic work. Not as much as we had hoped. We've paired back substantially, but I do believe it's, I mean, you know, November 1st comes Monday week and I don't believe I've ever taken a January trip where by November 1st I had not purchased airline (laughs) tickets to go. Anybody knows me knows that drives me nuts. I mean, by now I want a full itinerary pretty much at an hour level. And I want to know all the accommodations are made and all the airline tickets are organized. And some of y'all have traveled with me and y'all know that's how it operates. Is that not right? Amen. Rachel, and, 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 and I can't do any of that because we're waiting to see if the government changes their mind. <laughs> And and I want to go pull somebody's string, but you can't go pull somebody's string. So anyway, you pray that I'll have patience. I think don't ask the Lord for tribulation. Amen. Amen. Um, maybe I can get it in an injection or something. I don't know. But uh, pray that the Lord will help us and uh, and and resolve. There there's no particular issues except for uncertainties. And so if He would give us wisdom and discernment about um, setting up the rest of our arrangements and for 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 about really about four weeks of mission travel in January. And then, Lord willing, if we can get this COVID cloud to lift some, um, we have several opportunities that we've simply postponed uh, over the last couple of years, one being the country of Scotland. We've postponed a summer evangelistic campaign twice because of the restrictions. And if people won't come, they can't have meeting. We understand that. And so we're, we're biting at the bit. I mean, I mean, we're, we're we're chomping at the bit big time to go, but I need you to pray that the Lord would help us with those endeavors. All right. Luke chapter number eight, Luke chapter number eight. I'll get you out of service this morning about the same time you would have arrived at the steakhouse. Or at your own dinner table. How about that? All right. I mean, time you said your amen, you you got your dismissal in, and you shook hands and you fellowship and you drove back to where you live or where you were going to eat today. I'll get you out about the same time. And the beauty of that is, voila, we're back on schedule because all you'll have to do is walk through that door and pick up a styrofoam plate. Amen. And dinner will be served, alright? So I just thought I'd say that in case anybody was worried about it. We'll get you eating by the time you would normally be eating on Sunday afternoon. And if you can feed Baptists at a regular interval, they're usually content with you, alright? They'll put up with a lot of strange preaching if you'll just feed them well. Alright, Luke chapter number 8, three verses, three verses, and then the message. And I really don't intend to be long, but there's some truths in this text that we're learning From, and I I trust that the Lord will expand our thoughts on that today. The Bible said, and it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. I'm titling my thought, and again, we did this on Thursday night a little bit, and and I'll do it again this morning, but I'm titling our thoughts, Mission Lessons from the Master's Life. I've often said, if you want to know how to do ministry, study Jesus. If you want to know how to be an effective leader, study Jesus. If you want to know how to be a great soul winner, study Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when you begin to study Jesus, you'll find that there's a way to do it, which is right amen and uh, and I think if we want to know what God thinks about missions, then we probably ought to take a look at God's missionary to us yes. because in essence, he fulfills that status. He left heaven and came to where we are, gave his life so that you and I could know the truth of being born into the family of God, amen. amen. And so when I come to Luke chapter number eight in these three verses, I just read three verses, because there is a summarization in those verses, just a quick summarization that brings us to an understanding of a lot of things that were going on in the life of Christ at the time this was written. At the time this was written. You remember that in the Gospel of John. Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry and John said that if there was a record of everything, a written record, of everything that Jesus did while he was here on earth, that the world would not be able to contain the books. Amen. That's pretty impressive. I saw some pretty big libraries. Amen. in, In our digital world, I think about the capacity that I have You know, I've got a 256 gigabyte hard drive, a thumb drive, it's about that big. I've got 512 gig in my phone, that's a lot of data. But the Bible said the world couldn't contain the information uh, if we were to record everything that Jesus did. And so we don't understand everything, we don't have all the details, Brother Chris. But in these three verses, he gives us insight at a summary level, into what was transpiring in his ministry while he was here on earth. And so we're learning these mission lessons from the Master's life. So first of all, he taught us about the scope of ministry. How far should we go? And we looked at verse number 1. The Bible said, Every city and village, the mission task is unfinished until... Everybody has an opportunity to hear the gospel of the lord jesus christ and and that'll never be fulfilled in our in, in a sense I mean, I do believe God gave us a task that we can finish but but there is this little matter called a birthright and if I were to say to you, give me some thoughts about the world's population, and I mention uh earlier this week that we're at 7.797 billion or just shy of 8 billion they tell us we won't cross the 8 billion mark uh we'll need about another 200 uh 250 million or 300 million people so we'll cross that 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 threshold estimated in the year 2025 but we're not that far away say amen right there amen. we're not that far away and and so we have 7.8 billion people upon the face of this planet and sometimes we talk about the death rate and the rate of death should be a little alarming to you and I Uh, we know that is a world statistic that we have about 1.9 people die every second or just about two every time that you snap your fingers there's two more souls that slipped out into eternity two more souls that means that in a hour's time In an hour's time, you'll have about 6,800 people go out into eternity. In a typical two-hour service, you'll have about 13,700 people that'll go out into eternity. In a day's time, 164,000. In a week's time, 1.149 million people. In a month's time, you're looking at about 5 million people go out into eternity. And on an annual basis, just shy... Of 60 million people, one-fifth of the population of the United States of America, one out of every five people in this room uh, will go out into eternity and face God. That gives us a sense of urgency. This task is not done and we are running out of time to reach those people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there's another statistic. And that statistic is this, that there are 4.3 births every second. 4.3 people are born every second. So there's 4, and there's 8, and there's 12, and, and and there's 16, and I can't count, and there's 20. Five seconds time, there's 20 more people that need the gospel. I don't know how many of us are in here this morning, if there's 60 of us, We're at about 15 seconds worth of births. Every 15 seconds, another church full, another lighthouse Baptist church full of people is born that is going to need the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know the statistics, 258 a minute, 15,500 an hour, 31,000 in a typical two-hour service. Two point six million a week, eleven point three million a month or one hundred and thirty five million people are born every year in the world now i don 't know listen, I get it there's seven point eight billion, and some of them have heard, and some of them have not but i 'll tell you what I do know about that one hundred and thirty five million they never hurt. You understand? They've never heard. They've never heard the gospel. And I'd like to say that those that are born in these United States, which I think averages about 14 per uh one every 14 seconds or something like that. I didn't look the stat up fresh. But but I'd like to say that if they were born in America, they have a real good chance of hearing the gospel. But I can't say that anymore. Amen. I don't mean to throw no rocks, but I'd sure hate to know I had been born in California, right? I'd hate know I was born somewhere in the Midwest or Upper Midwest or Out West, where there's not a church for a hundred miles from my hometown. Amen. And so, and so, I'm just simply saying that we can focus on death, but the ones that died since this service started, we'll never reach. But if we focus on births, those that have been born since we started service. About two hours ago, that 31,000, we have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that follow the hearse to the graveyard today, we cannot help. Amen. I'm talking about those that, that, that are deceased. But those that are born at the hospital birth ward today, we can still have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel of Christ. So the scope of ministry, it's incomplete, but it's inclusive. Every city and every village. Then we talked about the sermon of the ministry. What is the message that is delivered? And it's the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Oh, how wonderful that is. That's what we're shouting about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Why? Because full pardon is ours. Because access to heaven is ours. Because sonship is ours. What a Savior. Amen. And that's what we're going to tell the world. You can get in on what we already know. Amen. So there's the scope of ministry and the sermon of ministry. Then we get to new territory. I told you I'd try not to be redundant. And and, and the third thing that you and I need to get a hold of in these lessons from the life of the master, mission lessons, is this, that there is a strain on the ministry. A strain on the ministry. Let me demonstrate. Look again at verse number 1. When you read verse number 1, he's going to every city and village. That's taxing enough. And then the Bible said he's preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God And and we talked a little bit about how we need to preach it and how we need to demonstrate it. We need to show it. But then this little statement is given to us at the conclusion of verse number 1 that seemingly could be set aside. But yet the Holy Ghost put it in our Bibles because it's of great value. This is the statement. And the twelve were with Him. Wow. Now, I don't know about you... But I have been up to the counter at McDonald's with 12 people and me pick up the tab. I've actually done a little bit more than that. I have gone with 80 to McDonald's and picked up the tab. Y'all ever tried that? That's a challenge. You'll have a lot of fun with that. I got a system. If they'll pay me attention, I can get them through. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. I call ahead. I say, we're about to pull in with a busload of teenagers. Drop some fries. Now, if they'll listen to me and drop some fries... I make all the kids, I tell them, said so order a combo. It's all right. Get it and go. We'll move them on through. But when I get done, there's a tab to pick up. Right? There's a lot of money. One person is bad enough at McDonald's these days, but if you've got 12, well, you know how it is to feed your family of four or five. Now you got to feed 12. There's a strain on the budget because of the vastness of the people that you're providing for. So Jesus said, there's 12 with me. That's supposed to be that way. Because the Bible said in Mark chapter 3 and verse number 14, he ordained at 12 that they should be with him. Amen. You see, your missionary has to invest in the lives of those that he's ministering to. There was a question in the Sunday school hour, and I'm going to chase this rabbit. We'll round him up on the lower side of the pasture, okay? But there was a question asked in the Sunday school hour about the the, the role the wives and, and daughters were going to play in the church planning efforts of that missionary. And, of course, they were given great answers. They talked about going out and passing out gospel tracts, of course, the teaching, sometimes the music, children's ministries, and all of those things. And I didn't say it then, but I kind of think maybe I should have said it. Maybe I'll just say it now. But I have known and known of missionaries whose philosophy was that my wife is there for me and my family and not the people that we're going to serve. Well, I understand something here and you need to understand something. God calls that man. His wife has been called specifically to follow that man. Now, it's going to be a miserable trek if she doesn't have a sense of God directing her to the same place husband has been called. I'm going to go as far as say mm, probably ain't going to work. She can only tolerate that so long. Amen. I get it. Her responsibilities to her family. I'm trying to make an observation here. But I know some who got on a foreign field And mama and the children isolated themselves from the national folks that they were trying to win with the gospel. They barely showed up for church. They sure didn't show up for anything else. You know what? I don't know any of those guys that made it. I don't know any of them that survived. Right? Because number one, the nationals never found out they could trust them. Why are they hiding? Huh? No, I'm just saying to you, I'm just saying to you, the twelve were with him, and he wanted them to be with him. And there's an interaction, there's an investment, there's a, there is a fellowship between the missionary and the people that he has gone to reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But having twelve produces a strain on the ministry. And your missionary has a strain on his ministry. I want to identify the three areas that he is strained in. Number one, he is strained because of the material needs of his family. Now we can choose to ignore it or we can choose to embrace it, but when your missionary gets to the field that he's going to go to, he has the exact same supply needs that he has in America. Has to have a house, has to have transportation, has to put food on the table, has to put clothes on the back. Amen? And the difference is that he may be trying to do that in a climate or a culture that is not very conducive to meeting an American family's needs. And you're just going to have to listen to me. I do not believe... Listen, I don't believe our missionaries ought to go and act like they're on vacation for the next four years. But I also don't believe... That there's a sin in our American missionaries going to a foreign field and at least enjoying some comforts that they would have enjoyed as an American. I don't think we're going to send our, I don't think we should send our missionary families to Uganda or Kenya or the heart of Africa and expect them to gather up some mud and some sticks and make a hut even though the people there went into Christ may live that way. Right? And uh, and so uh, there's an expense in that, but that's the least that missionary can do for his family. Amen? Let me just say that again. That's the least that the missionary can do for his wife who has faithfully followed him and his children who have not necessarily been called to that field, but will be obedient children until God gives them some other sense of direction in their life. It's the least he can do. I have a missionary friend that lives in an extremely remote situation. I don't feel like it would be right for me to name him and and, and under the circumstances. If you want to talk to me afterwards, I will. But, But he lives in a place that is accessible only by boat. You fly an hour on a puddle hopper, land on a dirt runway, then you get on a boat and you go about 15 miles across the bay and you're on an island without electricity. They live in a stilt house. They have a generator system, so they do enjoy a refrigerator and an electric light. But they live extremely remote on this island and the people that they're trying to win. You know what he told me after their first furlough and he came home and he and I are very, very close friends? He said, I had to raise a little extra support. And he said, the reason that I found it necessary to raise a little extra support, he said, I need to take my family to civilization a little more often. He said, Nah, me, I would never have to go back." And I, I know him well. He would never have to go back. He's a a MacGyver, and he just makes things work that shouldn't have ever worked in the first place. I could have used him about nine o'clock last night. <laughs> Amen. And and he's and 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 yet and yet his family isn't like that. Now they're they're empty nesters now. All their children are stateside now. But he said, I'm raising a little extra money so we can get in that boat. And if you go to the first town where the dirt runway is, it is not civilization. They lived there for a few months before they went out to the island and they had people steal the sheets off their bed through the ball, through the iron, um, the iron bars on the window while they were sleeping. All right. Yeah. Y'all are nodding y'all's head. Y'all looking a little uncomfortable yourselves right now. And and so civilization, in his case, requires that they get on a plane, fly about an hour, and they get to a town that at least has a Burger key. Y'all are going to laugh, but you know what? He said that my family enjoys best about this civilization. They go through four days to civilization. Of course, they've got Walmart there, and they've got stores, and they buy supplies, and they ship it back. But he said, you know what my family enjoys most? Now, he doesn't. <laughs> but his family does air conditioning it's hot they're in central america it's hot all the time 80 is a cold day 100 is a hot day 105 is an unbearable day and the humidity makes you melt but he said now, now he's been with me in 90 degree weather in the south and had on a jacket coat you know, one of those shirt coat things that you wear around, and I'm like, how are you doing that? I'm wishing that it was modest for me to remove something else. <sighs> Amen? Yeah. And, uh, and, and and it doesn't bother him, but he said, my family, he said, they just like to go to the air conditioning for a couple of nights. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I'm talking about a strain, a materialistic strain. So your giving meets material needs in the lives of your missionaries, just like you have material needs. Number two, the ministry needs is a strain on the ministry. Now, I didn't ask the treasurer, didn't ask the treasurer, but I could. I'd like to know if anybody volunteered to pay the electric bill here last month. I never have had a treasurer. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, the guy did come say, I want to pay the bill. (laughs) It doesn't work that way, does it? It's paid out of the tithes and the offerings of the church, and we understand that. But if you're starting a church and there are yet no tithes and offerings, who's going to pay the light bill, the rent for the building, the song books on the pew, gas in the van to go pick up the kids with? That's ministry needs. And so that's a strain. Your giving meets the ministerial needs of the missionary. Number three, there's a manpower issue. Now, I get it, and I think they'll understand what I'm about to say. Both of our missionaries that are here this week are from a different ...type of climate and culture. But if you're in a third world culture... ...specifically, it's not an uncommon practice... ...nor do I think it's an unwise practice... ...for that missionary, he has to invest... ...in the men that he sends out from his ministry. A lot of times, a lot of times for a young man in... ...Honduras or Africa to come to Bible college... And I think he needs to come to Bible college. And they don't come like we would think about where they come week after week after week. But they may come for a three-week stint or a two-week stint depending on how harvest is going. But for him to do that means his family has nothing to eat, nothing to provide for. And so they'll give him a stipend. A lot of times if he brings a man on and starts prepping him to take that ministry and that work, he'll pay him a small salary until the church is able to absorb and pay that salary. And in doing that, he hastens the ministry's expansion. i never preached a light bulb out before, but I just did. And I'm just saying to you that there's a cost of investment in the men. When Jesus took those 12 with him, he fed them. And he housed them. Amen? And he met their needs. And sometimes it becomes necessary not for them to become dependent upon the man. The missionary must be cautious of that. But, to help them get to a place where they can where they can expand another church, for instance, so if your missionary in in c d a has doing pretty good and he's got a preacher boy, and that preacher boy wants to go down the road and start at work in c d two then to be honest about it, especially in a third world culture where there's not a lot of cash flow, it's probably going to be necessary that the missionary rent that building over there. And help put it together and put it in place and put pews in it and chairs in it and all those things. Just like he had to do for his own church, which ultimately he hopes will become an indigenous work. But the cycle starts over and over and that produces a strain on the ministry, number three. Number four, we saw the scope, the sermon, and the strain, but then we see the support. Verse two and three is consumed with the support. Of the Lord Jesus Christ ministry on earth. By the way, if he wasn't too proud to be supported by his followers, then do you think it's wrong for our missionaries to be supported by the church that sends them? Good. No, I don't. So I just thought about this. The Bible said, and certain women which have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities... Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, haired steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their servants, of their substance. First of all, there's a fraternity in these verses. There's a common denominator. The Bible tells us that in verse number two, they had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Oh, what a Savior! Look what he done for us. And so Joe on this side and Sally on this side are going to give a mission offering on a consistent, systematic basis because Joe's been saved and Sally's been saved. They've been been pulled out of the pits of hell and given a new life in Christ Jesus. And that's the common denominator. Amen. Amen. The fraternity. We're all distressed, delivered and delighted in Christ. And then we see their feebleness. I want you to notice... And I think it's evident that in the ministry of Christ, men had a part, and no doubt men substantially supported that ministry. I get that. They're never mentioned. But who is mentioned is these women. At a time in history when women were the possessions of their husbands, they were definitely the feeble side of the equation. And yet out of this feebleness, out of this small, almost insignificant thing, Christ is supported in his ministry. You know what God teaches us in here? He said there's diversity in support. Now, you can look at it, and and and, and we don't know much, but we can make some assumptions that this Mary called Magdalene didn't come from the best side of town. I don't know if she was a, a prostitute or not. There's always been accusation to that end and assumptions to that end. I think it's probably a good guess. She comes from another side of the tracks. The wrong side of town. But then there's another woman mentioned in verse number 3 and her name is Joanna. And she's the wife of Chusa. And notice it's not Herod's servant, but it's Herod's steward. That's the keeper of his house. That's the one that's in charge of his accounts, his finances. I'd venture to say that they don't live on the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, they live on the high end. I mean, they're from the upper crust. But look, both of them are touched by the master. You know what happens in missions? There's little bitty churches and great big churches. There's people that barely can manage to give a dollar... And there's others that give lots of funds, but it's that diversity that supports and sustains the ministry of the local missionary. Hey, all you've got to do is be obedient to what God has asked of you. So we saw their feebleness, and then I did notice that there's a great number. He said, many others, many others. There's a move afoot in some independent Baptist circles. To I actually heard one fellow say that that until a church could. Financially support one missionary of and unto themselves, then they should not support missions. And I thought, that's foolish. It's not biblical. Right? Right? And I'd like to know, and I I don't know what that number is, but let's just say that a missionary needed six or seven thousand dollars a month to sustain a ministry and a family on a foreign field, and that's not an unreasonable number. How long would it be before, how long would, how long would it have to be before Lighthouse Baptist Church could have their first missionary? How many would go to hell in the process Amen. but Jesus said he was supported by many, uh-huh. and I'm persuaded there's a diversity Amen. in many churches because not only do they support a not only do they create a financial net, a safety net for that missionary in many churches, but they they provide a they provide a shield of prayer and protection for that missionary that all the money in the world could not buy. You see, I was in a war in the Ivory Coast. And I was in a missionary's compound two and a half hours from the capital city where the airport was. We have an embassy in the airport and they liked Americans. But the embassy notified the American citizens that were in the country, Don't come to the embassy. We can't help you. All the money in the world cannot do what prayer can do for your missionary. Amen? So there's a fraternity. There's a feebleness. Then we notice their finances. The Bible said it's out of their substance. Right. It's required of what a man hath, not what he hath not. God's asking you to give something that you've got Amen. for the cause of Christ. Lastly, there's a fellowship. The Bible said, they also ministered. You see that word in verse 3 when he identifies these women. He said, which ministered unto him. They get the same title that the preacher gets. They're ministers. And whether you go or whether you give, in God's economy, you're both ministering for the cause of Christ. Well, we talked about the scope, the sermon, the strain, and the support. Let me close with this. I want you to take your Bibles and turn, and I am done, Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27 is going to take us to Calvary. In fact, the very end of Calvary, if you will. The... Last moments of the Calvary's redemption. Now look here. Look here. I'm down in, uh, I'm down in verse number 54. 54, the centurion watches Jesus die and saw the earthquake and he said truly this was the son of God. But then look at verse 55. The Bible said many women were there. Beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, that's where we were in Luke 8, from Galilee doing what? Ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Josie and the mother of Zebedee's children. In the record of God's redemptive work, he took two verses. And he mentioned some women that were standing near the cross. And you know what he whispered? They were steadfast to the end. The men ran away. The women were still there. Those that ministered through their giving gave until it was over. We're not home yet. The trumpet hadn't sounded yet. The task hadn't done yet. But I, like those women of old, want to be steadfast Amen. and go all the way yes. with the Savior. Amen. I know you gave last year and the year before that. And you've given for years. But we need to give again. Amen. I know you've sacrificed in the past, but we need to sacrifice again. Amen. I know we believed God and tried to be obedient to Him in a day gone by. But we must listen to His voice and make a new commitment, a fresh commitment. Of what we're going to do for missions. So that next time it won't be 10. But there'll be more. A broader footprint. Reaching a little further. With the gospel. I don't know where that'll be. You'll decide that as a church. Maybe you've already decided that as a church. I don't know where that'll be. But it'll be where God wants you to be. And it can only be there. When you are obedient in your giving. And steadfast. In following through with the commitment that you make in your heart. You. For Christ's sake. Stand on our feet. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. we we'll come with our song of invitation, whatever we've set up. With our delayed start, we've been one hour and ten minutes in service. We've really not been that long. No, no. We'll still get you lunch and you'll be fed by the time you always would have been. But listen... And I know some had to slip out. They have commitments and obligations. And I understand. And it's an odd time. But can I ask you. Please don't miss this morning. As a church family. As individual families. And as individuals. Don't miss this morning. To take just a moment. In this invitation. And pull yourself aside. And just. Just present yourself to the Lord. You see, I have to do that routinely and I think I pretty well know what the mind and will of God for my life is. Every once in a while I just pull aside and the Holy Ghost nudges me and says, whatever you want, Lord. Now, Lord, we've been given, you know, every first Sunday we put this amount in the mission fund. But I want to present myself. What do you want me? That, that needs a little bigger. Yes. Sir. Net of about 75 million more on earth every year. Oh my. And you're a little more aware. You may not have knew about Forfar, in Dundee, Scotland. It's got 500,000 people in a 20 mile radius. One Bible preaching church. Yeah. You, you may not have known about a town at the foot of a mountain in Japan that doesn't have anybody telling others about Jesus. But now you do. What will you do with the light? What will you do with what you know? Will you present yourself afresh and say, Lord, I am Thine, O oh Lord. What You choose to do with me is Your choice, and I make myself available to You. Sing when you're ready, sing. Sing when you're ready. All right,